0: I'm excited, as I am every Sunday, to be able to get to walk through God's Word together. And in our passage today, we are going to see Jesus raise a man named Lazarus from the dead. Now, you may be wondering, why isn't he gradually leading us into this? Why is he giving away the main point of the passage right at the beginning? And it's because that's not the main point of the passage— It's an incredible miracle. Don't miss that. Jesus resurrects someone who was dead. That is amazing, but it's not the main point. It does, however, get us talking about death. Just naturally, Lazarus was dead. Now, I recognize that this is a year unlike any other, where we may have had to experience personally death in our life. And and I ask you, if this is you, please stick with me. I promise we are truly talking about life. Please stick with me. But even in a year like this, I don't think it's natural for many of us to talk about death. While there's still a ton of work to be done to show love and care for our fellow humans, overall, overall, life expectancy is on the rise quality of life, too, and those are beautiful, good things. We should celebrate that. But it does make it so we aren't often faced with death. It's not something we often come across, even in a year like this. And yet, when you think about what it is that unites all people, what it is that all people have in common, well, we all need food, we all need water, we all need shelter, we need others and we will die. And so when it's inside that, that piece of what it is that we share in common, it may seem like, oh, it's just natural. It's part of life. It's something that happens to us. It's, it's natural. But it's not. Death was not our intended destination. Death is not what we were designed for. We were designed for so much more. Death destroys us. And we see this as we walk through the book of John. I don't know if you've seen it in the passages that we've read through or any reading that you've done, but we see that death is not natural over and over again in John. Let me give a couple examples. In uh, John chapter 1, verse 4, we saw in him, talking about Jesus, was life. In John 3, verse 16, which some of you might have heard of John 3, 16, uh, it says, uh, whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have everlasting life. John 4, Jesus talking to the woman at the well, is offering water that will well up, be a spring of eternal life. John 5 says life eight times by my count, let alone how many times it says the word live a couple of weeks ago we saw John 6 Jesus says I am the bread of life okay you could probably stop me right there you get what I'm getting at over and over again in the gospel of John is well, let me give one more, actually. So the whole purpose of John is given to us in chapter 20, verses 31 through 32. John says, this is why I wrote this entire gospel. And it says this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ. That's why it was written, the son of God. And that by believing, you may have what? Life in his name. Why is Jesus adamant about bringing life to those who believe? Why do we see this word over and over and over again show up in the ministry of Jesus if death is just natural, if death is just something that happens? Because it's not what we're designed for. We are designed for so much more. So Jesus has come to bring life. He has come to show us that death is an enemy that we cannot avoid. And I think we do realize that on occasion, even if we aren't faced with death often, we do realize the power and impact of death. It's why the meanest thing that can ever be said to us is we will have the results of your tests in five to seven business days. We spend that time worrying, being full of anxiety, hopping on WebMD, convincing ourselves that we have some rare disease only found in Malaysia, and it doesn't matter that we've never been to Malaysia. It's why we choose to eat bland and boring food when our blood work comes back scary. It's why we pick up an activity that gets us exercise. I don't know if it's out here, but in uh, California, pickleball is exploding all over the place. as a way to get exercise. It's why life insurance is a thing. Because when we are faced with death, we recognize how impactful it is, how certain it is, how final it is. So what hope is there? What hope is there against such an unavoidable enemy? What hope is there against something so unnatural and so common? Jesus gives us hope. And he proves that he can give us hope by resurrecting Lazarus, a super incredible miracle that proves that he is who he says he is. And that's important for us going through the series because we are going through a series called Jesus I Am, which is us seeing who does Jesus say he is. So we saw Jesus say, I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world, uh, the gate to the sheep, the good shepherd. And because this is who Jesus is, it tells us who we are, what we are given. We're given provision. We're given a guidance. We're given uh, access to God and a proper leader, all because of who Jesus is. And so in our passage today, who is Jesus, and how does he give us hope in f- the front and face of this enemy, death? And what I want us to walk away with today is just this simple sentence through his love, Jesus confronts death with life. That's it. That's all we need to walk away with. You don't need to remember any funny stories or anything like that. As long as we can walk out of here with, through his love, Jesus confronts death with life. And I hope that we will see how monumental that is for us in our time together. We are in uh, John chapter 11 today. It's a really long chapter. It is an incredible chapter. Please read it. You don't want me to read all 57 verses right now. I listened to a sermon where a guy did, and it was incredible, and it took 12 minutes, and I'm only given a little bit less than 30. So you don't want me to read all of them. Please read it yourself. Uh, So we'll skip over. Make sure that I'm sticking with what this passage is saying. Hold me accountable to that always. So we are in John chapter 11. We will start right at the beginning in verse 1. And it says this, it says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Through his love, Jesus confronts death with life. We'll split those up into three parts and so focus on the first one right here. Through his love. Now, whether you were with us last week or you were online with us, you saw we spent a lot of time on the love that Jesus has for us. He is our good shepherd. He knows us. He knows everything about us, and he loves us. He calls us by name to himself, knowing us better than anyone else will, loving us more deeply than anyone else ever can. Jesus loves us, and we see that over and over and over a time in Scripture. And we see it in this passage too. Later on, we'll get to a, a section where Jesus is looking out and people are mourning the death of Lazarus. And Jesus is deeply moved for, for the simple reason that he loves those in front of him. Out of his love for them, he is deeply moved. In, in the passage we just read, it, it said, uh, Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. Jesus loved Lazarus. Verse five said, now Jesus loved Lazarus. Martha and her sister and her brother. His love is all over this passage. But then we get to verse 6, and it says, So, which we can also read as therefore... Jesus loved them. Therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Wait, wait a second. We went on and on about the love for Jesus, and when he hears that someone that he loves is ill, he stays two days? How is that showing love? I, I thought about it like this. Uh, God forbid. My wife calls me from the hospital, and she says, things are not going well. I need you to come here. And I say, sure. How does two days from now sound? It sounds like I no longer have a wife. She's definitely going to leave me after that one. So how can Jesus, who so deeply loves, do something that seems so unloving? How can he stay these two days when he hears what Lazarus is like? And maybe we've asked questions like that before too. Maybe we've thought something similar. Maybe last week as we were going on and on about the love of Jesus for us, we had some questions in the back of our mind. Jesus loves me. Then why did he let this happen? Jesus loves me. Then why does it seem like it's taking forever to get an answer to my prayers? It it seems like I never get an answer to my prayers. He loves me. Then why do I feel so much pain? Why does it feel like he's not there? And I get it, in some sense. I started looking for the job that would become this one in February of 2020. It took almost a year. And right after I just started looking, a global pandemic hit. And it's amazing how many job postings disappeared overnight due to the uncertainty of the world. And as more and more months went by of just waiting, God, where are you leading me? Where uh, is the place that you have prepared for me? I I trust that you do. As more and more months happened, my prayers were not that dignified and they became more like bargaining. God, I'm trying to work for you. Why can't you give me something in return? Now I'm sure you are mature in your faith and you can connect well with God even in the midst of difficult circumstances, but I really struggled with it this past year. It's hard to see how waiting was God's love for me. It was very difficult. And we have two things in our passage, and we hold them in tension Jesus loves Lazarus, Jesus waits two days. And in our lives too, Jesus loves us, and Jesus waits, or he seems like he's not answering, or he seems like he's not there. We hold these in tension. How can they both be true at the same time? And I think in times where, where things are going a little bit better for us, we can, we can give some good and right answers uh, towards those things. Uh, Jesus' love for us doesn't mean that we get everything we want or we wish or we feel we need. That, that's true. Jesus' uh, love for us doesn't mean that he will answer us in, in the timing that we want. Yeah, that's true. And maybe we look at a passage like this and say, well, this is for uh, the glory of God that he's, he's waiting, so he's going to do a bigger miracle. Sure, but it's hard to see how this is loving. Jesus loved them, therefore, he waited two days. How is that a loving act? How is it loving to wait, to make us wait? How is that loving? What I think we see in passages like this, what give us so much hope in times that are hard for us is we see that the most loving thing that Jesus can do is to do the will of God for us. It, this, this is a little bit difficult. And, and again, it's, it's easy to say when things are going well, but the most loving thing that Jesus can do, the most loving thing he does for Lazarus, for us, is to do the will of God in our life to wait sometimes, to not answer immediately sometimes. And I think we can draw encouragement from passages because Jesus is going to do the will of God here. He looks at Lazarus, at Martha, at Mary, at the disciples, at the Jewish leaders who are there, the mourning people who are sad for Lazarus' death, who really feel sad And he's going to help them see that death is worse than they realize, but they have a greater hope than they could ever imagine. If he goes right away, they don't see that. If he goes right away, they don't experience God's will for them to learn this. So the most loving thing that Jesus can do is to do the will of God. And here, he does that by waiting. So through his love, Jesus confronts death with life. We'll get to that next part. Jesus confronts death as we continue in the passage. So Jesus is going back to the place where he was confronted by the Jewish leaders before. They grabbed rocks to stone him. They were so outraged at him. Jesus is going to that very region again. He's confronting his own death in a way, but he's going to confront death for those who are there and for us as well later on. So we'll pick the story back up in uh, John chapter 11, verse 17. It says this, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Okay, I know I'm just reading, but I'm going to pause really fast. When we come across a a specific detail in the Bible, it should make our ears perk up a little bit. Why is that there? Why four days? Why does it tell us that? Is that important? Yes, and so we should try to figure out why is it important? Why spend the time to tell us four days? And I think there's two reasons why, uh, why John tells us it's four days. First, uh, there is this theory going on at the time where uh, after someone died, their spirit would uh, hover over the body for three days trying to get back in. And so, uh, with it being four days, that time has passed. Now, we don't believe that's the case, that the Spirit hovers over someone's body, but John is writing to people who did. And so, what John is saying, that the three days is over, and so he's using, this is a technical term, he's using this to show that, that Lazarus is dead, dead. He's very much so dead. This isn't him asleep and he's going to wake up again. This isn't him uh, misdiagnosed and he's going to recover after a little bit. This is death. He has really died. And so this is really a miracle that Jesus will do. The other reason uh, that it tells us four days, uh, how many days did Jesus wait before he went? Two. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Two. Yes, he waited two days. So even if Jesus left right away, he would not have been there before Lazarus died. So it tells us four days. Anyways, let's go back to verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained to the house. That's the custom of the time, you stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, "'Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died.'" but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And she said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection and the last day. She said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Through his love, Jesus confronts death with life. And as we read through this passage, maybe it sticks out to you that it seems to be a conversation about two different deaths. Martha and Jesus seem to be talking past each other. It happens a lot when Jesus is talking to people. And Martha is talking about the very real death her brother Lazarus experienced, and she's talking about that. But Jesus is talking about a different kind of death, a kind of death that happens because this world is so broken, a death that keeps us separated from God because of all the brokenness in this world, a death that is spiritual in nature, that because of sin in our life, because of all that is wrong in this world, we are not able to be as close to God as we were designed to be. We were not supposed to live in a way that was always fearful of death lingering around us always. We were supposed to be freed to live with and for God. There are two deaths going on. I think this sticks out a little bit more clearly as we go on. So Martha was talking to Jesus. She goes back and gets Mary. Mary comes and says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus responds to her in verse uh, 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and all the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see everyone's favorite memory verse, Jesus wept. So Jesus weeps here. He looks and sees all of these people who loved Lazarus as well, weeping and mourning the loss of Lazarus, and Jesus weeps. But Jesus is mere seconds from resurrecting Lazarus. Jesus stayed two days knowing that he will do something for the glory of God. He said, this illness will not end in death. He knows he's going to resurrect him. He knows he's going to bring him back to life. So why is he weeping here if he knows what he's about to do? This seemed like fake tears if he's doing it. He is going to take away the whole reason why everyone is mourning. So why is he weeping? Because there's two deaths the very real physical death of Lazarus and the second deeper spiritual death, separation from God. And we see that in the wording here. Um, this could go bad, uh, but what are new days for on a job other than a platform for making mistakes? So let's see if we can make a mistake. Uh, does anyone see a little number next to the phrase deeply moved? About in the spot where we have an asterisk on this slide. Anyone see something there? So our Bibles are are really cool. Uh, Translators, dozens of translators spend years trying to get us to exactly what God said and what God is saying to us now. They spend so many years working to get us a very, 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 very good translation. But sometimes when you're going from one language to another, you need to tweak some things to make it a little bit clearer for us. And they're, they're not changing the meaning, but they want us to understand. So they tweak it a little bit. But when they do, they want to show their work. And so they'll put a little footnote and says literally means this. So you don't have to doubt them. Other times there could be different meanings going on and they're trying to figure out which one. So they do really good research to land on what they think is the best one, but they wanna show their work and say, it could also mean this. And then we get passages like this one and phrases like this one, where it just doesn't quite capture enough of what's going on. And so they need to give us a little bit more information. So they'll put a footnote. So you want to have a footnote on this phrase uh, that goes, it goes somewhere else? What does the footnote say that's, that's associated with it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, angry in his spirit. Mine says indignant, which means the same thing. So it says he is moved in his spirit and in an indignant, in an angry way. Jesus is angry looking at these people mourning the loss of someone they loved. What would Jesus be angry about in this? He is angry that this exists at all. He is angry that these people have to experience death. He is angry that they are losing out on this in a way that they were not designed to experience. This was not supposed to be normal. Hundreds of thousands of people dying from a disease right now, that is not supposed to be normal. This world is broken. This world is not how it was made. And when Jesus looks out, he loves these people so much that he gets angry about it. And more than just physical death experiencing, he looks out at these people. They don't have access to God. They don't have the spirit in them. They don't have a hope or a future. They don't have anything to be looking forward to because of the brokenness of the world. And he gets angry. Jesus is deeply moved in an angry way because this is not how we are supposed to live. And he doesn't just leave us there. This isn't a story of Jesus through his love confronts death and that's it. No, Jesus through his love confronts death with life because Jesus is going to give hope to these people. Jesus is going to give us hope as well. And we see that as we continue in the the passage. So Jesus goes to the tomb with these people and and there's a big stone in front of him. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And, And Martha, oh, Martha, she was so close. She said something so beautiful earlier. She said, I know that you are the son of God who has come into the world. And here she says, no, we can't roll away the stone. We can't do this. She brings up again, he's been in here four days. He is dead, dead. There's no coming back from this. There's no hope. There's no reason to roll away the stone. So don't do this, Jesus. Jesus responds to her in verse verse 40 and says this, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. But I, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And, and Jesus said to him, them, unbind him and let him go. It's an incredible miracle. Lazarus was dead four days, no hope of coming back from that, but Jesus came and resurrected him. But that's not the point of the story. Jesus is coming to confront a different kind of death a more permanent or seemingly permanent death, one that lingers over this world at all times, one that is constant brokenness and, and being apart from God. Jesus has come to bring life into that death, to bring hope and joy and peace and comforts that only he can bring as the resurrection and the life. Jesus has come to bring life. This is a passage about two deaths. We talked about that, but it's also a passage about two lives. He talked about this earlier as we were reading it. Uh, Whoever believes in me, though he die, uh, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. We are a people who believe in eternity. We have a glorious future set up for us, where we get to have closeness with our God who created us. We get to really experience not just words of a page, not just moments of our life, but a constant acknowledgement that we are loved deeply by the good shepherd, We are going to a place where there's no pain or or heartbreak or hurts or death or sadness or diseases that run rampant through communities. We have an eternal, glorious future set up for us, and Jesus will undo death. We have hope because we have an eternal life set for us. Jesus will undo death. Death is not the end at all. Jesus has come to bring life. And we saw that. We referenced John 3:16. It's It's such a big memory verse because of how important it is. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. And this life is glorious. It is beautiful. And we don't just place our hopes in this naively. We have proof. Proof that starts with the raising of Lazarus. But it's a story of two lives. When Jesus was talking to Martha, Martha said, I know that my brother will be resurrected in the last day. And she was right, very much so. There will be an actual physical resurrection to all those who believe and get this glorious future life. But what was Jesus' response to Martha? Was it, atta girl, you got it. No, partially because Jesus is not that crude, but what did Jesus say to Martha when she said this? I'll give you a hint, the series that we're in is called I Am. Uh, What did Jesus say to Martha after she said this? That's an actual question, you could say it. Yes, yeah, I am the resurrection and the life. So let's do some grammar. No, stop your eyes from glazing over, it's gonna be easy grammar, I promise. Does Jesus say, I will be the resurrection and the life? No. Does Jesus say, I will someday get to the point where I am the resurrection and the life? No. He says, I am the resurrection and the life in the present. And not just in the present for 2021. He said this in first century Israel, I am the resurrection and the life, life now resurrection life now, not just in the future, but now. I think we as Christians, we, we have the wrong mentality sometimes. We say, you know, someday we'll get to heaven and everything will be glorious. You know, someday everything will be made new. Someday uh, everything that's wrong will be put right. And that's true. That's very much so true. And that is an incredible hope given to us. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am giving life now. Life that doesn't have to be coated in death. Life that does not have to be a fear of what is coming. Life that doesn't have to be just waiting until we get to heaven. Life that is given to us now. Freedom to be close to God now. Freedom from the doom of death now. I am the resurrection And the life. It's a totally different mindset. We can't just be people looking towards the future. We are called to live a new life now. So what does that look like? Well, I think about it how we Focus our mind. A lot of the scripture talks about what are you focusing your mind on? And I think how often do we focus on the task at hand or uh, what we have coming up or responsibilities that we have uh, on our calendar? How often do we think about those things compared to the reality that we have an eternal life set out for us? How often do we think of one compared to the other? About a 50 50 split between the two? It's not in my life, I could tell you that for sure, but I'm, I'm rehearsing for a sermon this week which has some eternal significance and my mind goes to how difficult it is to get Colorado license plates during a pandemic. I am trying to pray and my mind goes to all the meetings that I had that day. I'm trying to lead my wife spiritually, but I'm much more interested in what's for dinner. We need license plates. We need meetings. We very much so need dinner. But we need an eternal perspective. We need to remember that our lives are more than what's here. But because of that, our lives here should look different. How often are we remembering what Jesus is doing and setting a hope for the future for us? How often are we remembering that Jesus is giving us life now? So we set our mind on the future. We know the end. We know how the future looks, and that needs to change how now looks because Jesus isn't just giving life in the future. He's giving life now. Through his love, Jesus confronts death with life. In the raising of Lazarus, Jesus gives us just a little taste of what our future will be. There will be a physical bodily resurrection But Jesus is the resurrection and the life now. Because of that, we have access to God. Because of that, we have freedom to follow after him. Because of that, we are freed from the doom of death. Now, don't get me wrong on this. Death is still very real, and it unites us with all other people. It is coming for us. And yet, because of what Jesus has done, because of the future he has set up for us, because of the present he has allowed us in giving us life now, we are freed from the doom of death. We still weep, absolutely. We still pray that things were different. Death still brings us pain, but death no longer has power. Through his love, Jesus confronts death with life.